Good morning, Bethel Atlanta. I'm so happy to be with you this morning. I feel so honored to be in your living room or your kitchen while you're cooking bacon, whatever is happening over there. We are so excited to be together this morning. We love you, we miss you so much, and we are just in your corner cheering wildly as you navigate this season that you aren't just gonna overcome, you're gonna overwhelmingly overcome because the same Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living and breathing and having His way inside of you right now. So good, well, let's pray for a second. So Holy Spirit, we just stop and we just make room to honor your presence this morning. We just, we just pause and we just turn all of our affection to you. That we haven't first come to gather around a message, but we have come to gather around a king, to gather around the presence of the living God. And so we just thank you that you could do more in even 30 minutes, then we could, we could spend a lifetime trying to accomplish. So I just ask that you would come and have your way, your transforming, eternal, flip everything upside down in only the way you can way. We look to you, we make room for you, and we just honor you in this place this morning. We love you, Holy Spirit, and we woke up this morning to live inside your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, good. Well, we're gonna bop around uh, a bit this morning in the Bible. So if you wanna start in Mark 4, or you can just take some notes of these verses and I'll just serve them up to you and you can go back and look at them later. Uh, but. I wanna look at a parable this morning and it's actually Jesus explaining a parable he just told. And in Mark 4, uh, we'll pick it up in verse 13. He says, uh, then he, Jesus, said to them, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any parable? Let me explain. The farmer sows the word as seed. And you know, this, this parable uh, goes through three types of ground that the seed can fall on, uh, a beaten path, gravel, or thorns. And then at the very end of the peril, parable, it says, but the seed sown on good soil, in verse 20, uh, represents those who open their hearts to receive the word and their lives bear good fruit. So, um, you know, when... When this parable is talking about the word being sown as seed, it's a capital W because the word became flesh. The word became a person. And the word is an invitation into an encounter, into a relationship with the living God. And so in 1 Peter 1.23, it talks about this seed, that it is living and active, that it's actually indestructible, that when this seed gets inside of you, you don't have to do the work to make sure the seed gets the job done, that the seed has everlasting fruit-producing potential. And our only job 
is to be good soil. And the, the good soil is an open heart that receives. And so, you know, the, the word of the Lord comes to us in various different ways. We, we can be sipping coffee alone, which a lot of us are doing lately, and hear a still small voice and we can feel a word from the Lord bubbling up inside of us. We can be reading a verse in the scripture. We could get a prophetic word. We could be out in nature. But everything that we hear as a word from the Lord is meant to lead us into deeper levels of relationship with Him. That the Bible was never meant to be words that we memorize. It was meant to lead us to a person that we memorize, to a person that takes up habitation inside of us and that we take up habitation inside of Him. So this parable is huge because it's teaching us how do we become what Jesus paid an extravagant price for us to become? How do we become the house of the living God? And so let's just look through these three examples of, of soil. And the first one, uh, it says, the farmer sows the word as seed and what falls on the beaten path represents those who hear the word, but immediately Satan appears and snatches it from their heart. And so a beaten path, it represents a well-traveled path. If, if, if we're out in a field and there is one path that we can see clearly, it's because that path has been traveled over and over and over. So the picture that's being painted is this is a very familiar path. In, in the route of your everyday, ordinary life, I'm getting up, I'm getting coffee, I'm doing the dishes, I'm serving my family, I'm going to work. I'm in the very mundane, ordinary routine of my life, the, the beaten path that I haven't just been doing this for two weeks, I've been doing this for two years, five years, 10 years. And the word comes in that setting, a very familiar setting. And what happens is Satan, the accuser, comes to snatch the word away on the beaten path. And I want to flip over uh, to Matthew chapter 4 because um, Jesus is our perfect example of what it means to live with an open heart that receives. And, you know, he gets this extraordinary word from the Father right before uh, he, right, right as he's being baptized. And um, right before chapter four starts, the heavens open and suddenly a voice, the voice of the Father shouted from the sky over Jesus, this is the son I love and my greatest delight is in him. And so the Father is speaking over the life of his son. He's whispering, you're my delight. You're the one I've been longing for. You're the one I've been looking for. You are my son. And in the very next chapter, the accuser, Satan, comes to try to snatch the word away from Jesus. So if, if you've ever been um, alone, isolated in the wilderness, and you find yourself having a conversation with the devil, 
I just want to encourage you, you're not alone. You're gonna be okay because Jesus has been there. And if you feel accusation, Jesus is our standard of dealing with accusation. And you know, sometimes the first thing we can feel when we feel accused is shame. What am I doing wrong that this accusation is coming? But even Jesus himself was accused. So um, it does not mean you're doing something wrong because Jesus was perfect and Satan himself still came to accuse him. In uh, chapter four, verse three, it says, then the tempter came to entice him, Jesus, to provide food by doing a miracle because he, he had been fasting for 40 days and was extremely weak and famished. So he said to Jesus, how can you possibly be the son of God and go hungry? Just order these stones to be made into loaves of bread. And uh, Jesus answered, bread alone will not satisfy, but true life is found in every word which constantly goes forth from the mouth of God. And so, you know, it's interesting because the, the devil was accusing Jesus. How could you possibly be the son of God? How could you possibly be the delight of the father if you're hungry? You don't even have food to eat. And he's pointing to the external circumstance, the external reality out in the wilderness with no food. He's weak and famished. And Satan is enticing him. Get your identity from your experience. Get your identity from your circumstance. And, you know, in all of us know what this feels like. When we, get a, we, we hear a promise from the Lord like this, you are my daughter, I see you, I love you, I know you. And then what happens? You get sick or uh, you, you get a bill you didn't expect or um, in some area of your life, you're finding yourself going hungry in a deficit of love. And it's in those familiar experiences that the accuser comes and says, see, there's no way that word could be true. See, there's no way you could be the delight of the father if you're going hungry. And he, you know, the accusation is intended to get our eyes off of the person who has come as a seed and get us to shut down our trust. Because, you know, um, the way we receive, this parable says, is by having an open heart and receiving. That, that is how the seed takes root in us, that we have an open heart and receive. And an open heart requires risk. I trust what the Father has said about me I trust who the Father is to me more than anything in my external world. And, you know, when, when uh, the Pharisees brought the woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery and threw her at the feet of Jesus in all this accusation, what they didn't realize, they, they were trying to get Jesus caught in a trap. What will he do with her adultery, her very real sin? And what, what the Pharisees, the accusers, 
the, the voice of the accuser didn't realize is the accusation was actually driving her to the feet of her redeemer, driving her to the feet of her judge, of her perfect king. And if we will allow it, every accusation in your life can drive you into a deeper, more intimate connection with Jesus. And that is what this seed is intended to do. When you open up your heart and risk and, and the, the accuser says, how could this be true? You don't engage in an argument with the devil. It's, it's kind of like the same rule we have with toddlers. Don't argue with a toddler. Don't argue with the devil. Instead, we turn our affection to, to the word, the person of God. And we open up our heart and, and we trust what he has said above any other um, thing happening in our physical world. And so uh, Jesus is an extraordinary example when he says, bread alone will not satisfy that I am not living from the earth to the earth. I'm actually living from the fullness of a presence that satisfies me towards all the deficits on the earth. And so um, we open up our heart and receive the presence of the living God when the accuser comes, okay? Uh, the, second, the second soil is a seed in verse 16, the seed sown on gravel represents those who hear the word and receive it joyfully, but because their hearts fail to sink in a deep root into the word, they don't endure for long. For when trouble or persecution comes on account of the word, they immediately wilt and fall away. And so basically what what is happening in this gravel is we receive the presence in a high place, in a happy place, which we all love and enjoy a high, happy place. And, uh, you know, in an encounter with the Lord, I remember, um, you know, when the Lord called me to withdraw from college and go to this school off a beaten path and I could feel tangibly the presence of the Lord in a way I had never experienced in my life. It was a high, happy place that I received the word in. And it took about 24 hours until the reality of the risk and the cost and the trust that was needed to completely defer the course of life I had chosen to take and go off the map and follow him into the dark uh, required me to open my heart in a way I had never experienced before. And so, you know, Jesus, again, is our perfect model in that he gets all the way to the end of his life. And in Matthew 27, he begins to endure the crucifixion and he hears the same accusing, mocking voice through the whole process. People are spitting on him. How could you be God's favorite? If you're really God's son, 
That's what the Bible says. Then you would come down off of that cross and prove it, prove it. And he, he is, again, the, the very things the Father spoke over him. You are my son. You are my happiest thought. You are my delight. You are the one I have been waiting to live with and rest in. And the accuser, again, all the way at the end in his final hour was poking him. Prove it, prove it, prove it. And if, if the word inside of us is not bigger than all the words surrounding us, we will wilt. We will wilt and fall away. And what um, Jesus modeled was he had a love, the love of the Father living inside of him, active and perfect, alive. Not just a verse he memorized, but a person's affection that he lived inside of, he felt, he heard. And that love was way bigger than any of the rejection happening on the outside. So he was able to say in a moment of the most intense agony, that we could ever imagine, he was able to respond to that level of rejection and accusation because he had enough love. He had more presence on the inside than what was being fired at him from the outside. And, you know, he literally opened his heart on the cross in the most vulnerable, open, surrendered way that, that we could ever see and showed us what it means to live with an open heart that receives the Father. And you know, a synonym for receive is surrender, that I surrender to your word before I surrender to any other thing. And you know, that, that is what causes us, the people of God, to endure that when we're able to receive, not just up in the high place, but when we're picking up our cross and following Jesus. And you know, there's the most beautiful passage in Hebrew 4.14 that I just wanna read to you really quick. And it talks about being able to receive Jesus, the word from heaven, the indestructible seed in the low places of our life as well. And uh, in verse 14, it says, so then we must cling in faith to all we know to be true. For we have a magnificent high priest, Jesus Christ, the son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. And in the footnote, it says that phrase is actually who has sorrow with us in our affection. So he actually rose into the heavenly realm and now comes down and feels sorrow with us in our affliction. And he understands humanity. For as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way, just as we are, and conquered sin. So now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned, to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. So he, what he's saying here is he wants us to receive him in the high places of our life, that we hear him and we receive it with joy. But the way the root 
of, of his presence happens in our heart is when we allow ourselves to receive him also in the low places. So when you're feeling sad, you receive him in that sadness. You receive mercy's kiss in your sadness. In, in, in your weakest moments, the goal isn't, how do I get back to joy so I can experience his presence again? No, it's how do I open up my heart and receive in this place of my vulnerable weakness that I have full and bold access down here. And you know, we don't, you don't leave your hopelessness to receive the presence of Jesus. You, you don't leave depression to receive the presence of Jesus. We can endure any trial, no matter how long it is, as long as he is with us. And that, that is his promise over and over again. Not that we won't have valleys, but that perfect love will be with me in the valley. That perfect kindness, that waking up inside of mercy's kiss is our portion every single morning. And so the seed is longing to take root so that we could be a people that don't just thrive uh, for a month or five years or 10 years, but that we could be people that the older we get, the, the more passionate we get, the more alive we get, the more this root happens in the deepest parts of our soul, that there literally is no place that we could go that he wouldn't go with us. This is our magnificent high priest. So wherever you're at this morning, don't leave that space to welcome him. Don't leave that space to boldly come before his throne and receive mercy's kiss. Right where you're at, experience the word wants to take root right there. And um, the third soil is the thorns. And, you know, uh, the Bible says, in verse 18, we're still in Mark 4. And the seed sown among thorns represents those who hear the word, but they allow the cares of this life and the seduction of wealth and the desire for other things to crowd out and choke the word so that it produces nothing. And so, you know, the cares are not the problem. Like, we all are living with cares. And Jesus modeled for us, not what it looks like to be careless, because he, he was the most authentic, loving person the planet had ever experienced. So his heart was full of care, but how he lived with that care is radically different than our natural bent. And he wasn't careless, he was carefree. He was lighthearted because he was showing us the way of a father who was bigger than our cares. And so when we start to feel the cares of the world choking out our awareness of who we belong to, it is our invitation to begin to magnify the living God that is the indestructible seed on our insides, 
the invitation to let our God be bigger than our cares. Because cares are not a concern if there's someone bigger than me caring for them. And, you know, all three of these things, that the cares of life, um, the seduction of wealth, the distraction of desires, those are all identifying the fruit of living out of an orphan spirit. Because you know what? An orphan spirit is chasing belonging. If I just could have more money, I could belong. If, if I could have more influence, I would feel like I was worth sitting at the table. If I could have more power, more friends, um, more success, uh, be you know, connected to more influential people. And that, that is what an orphan spirit sends us on a chase to finally belong, if I could just finally belong. But the truth is, is that you can never catch belonging. Belonging isn't something that a spirit of sonship earns. Belonging is something a son receives. It's something a son is born into. And when you were born again inside of this indestructible seed, this beautiful God, you were born into belonging. And there's nothing you could accomplish in your life that could get you a deeper sense of belonging. And, you know, the orphan spirit is synonymous with a poverty spirit because a poverty spirit has like $2 worth of identity. So, you know, there, there isn't enough wealth to measure love. And so that's why Jesus said, this, this is the greatest act of love that you would lay down your life. And so what fathers do and what mothers do is they lay down their life to benefit their sons and daughters. They give of their heart, they give of their time, they give of their resources, and they do it not out of a duty, but out of a delight. You are my delight. You are my joy. And what the orphan spirit never gets to experience is a father who is happy to lay down everything he is so that we would benefit. And so, you know, when we, when we feel the distraction for things and uh, the seduction to prove and earn our identity and we feel cares starting to choke out um, the seed of our awareness of who do I belong to, in those moments is when we open up our heart and we receive the word. We receive the person of the Father and we allow our experience for him, that I have a provider, I have a protector. My significance is secure because of who I'm connected to. And it's out of that place that we feel free enough to live with a courage that is impossible without belonging to a father. And so, you know, at the very end of this parable, Jesus says, he, no one lights a lamp only to place it under a basket 
or under the bed. It's meant to be placed on a lampstand. And culturally in the footnotes, it says, the word of the Lord was considered the lamp. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. And so we actually put what the Lord has said, we put who he is to us in the center of our life. We put it on a lampstand so that it gives light to everything we're experiencing. So we're not interpreting our world through our circumstance, through the accuser, um, through our need to belong, but that we're actually seeing everything through the light of his love, through the light of his presence. And that, uh, you know, we don't just have to memorize what he has said. We actually get to live with him and walk with him and constantly be assured you're not alone. We're in this together. I'm bigger than you. I'll always be bigger than you. And, uh, you know, in this season, There is an extraordinary invitation to step into this place of intimacy with him in in a way that the seed inside of us is longing to take root and explode and become not something we just quote, but something we embody because he lives in us. So I just pray that over over you this week, wherever you're, you're feeling the pressure that, That is not failure, that is an invitation and that you get full permission to step into that with with the Holy Spirit, not in order to get to the Holy Spirit. So I love you guys. Thank you so much for this time. We're praying for you, we're with you and we can't wait to see you again next week.